Happy New Year, yes, the start of 2017, but we pick up where we left off in 2016, I'm afraid. Brexit, bird flu and safety, still very much on the agenda. In terms of our preparations for Brexit, we absolutely have the right resources. This is a notifiable disease and uh, producers must keep their birds indoors, not just for their own birds' safety, but I'm afraid for the whole industry. We want people to be careful, you know, farming shouldn't be. Uh, the highest um, industry that has accidents. Also this week, we'll find out how the year started for the Beat campaign and with your usual agronomy, grain and detailed weather as well. Sunday, January 8th, 2017. This is the Farming Programme with Sean Dunderdale. In terms of our preparations for Brexit, we absolutely have the right resources. I'm confident that we have the right people and the right skill sets. Just a quick show of hands, who shares that confidence? Who... Oh, George does. Um, <laughs> the farming minister just saving his job there. Andrea Ledson there at this week's Oxford Farming Conference, failing, it's fair to say, to impress the audience of sceptical farmers. Asked there if they agreed with the DEFRA secretary's claim that her department's ready to deliver Brexit, only her farming minister, George Eustace, put his hand up. Every other hand stayed down. Maybe you were among them. It was an interesting few days at Oxford, plenty of discussion. Of course, Brexit among the biggest concerns. Andrea Ledson made a number of pledges to the conference, including that she was committed to making sure we have the right skill set and the right level of workforce for the UK food and farming sector, also pledging to slash Brussels farming regulations, and said farmers would get the same level of handouts from the UK government after Brexit as it now receives from Brussels. The debate that night at the Oxford Union had the motion this house believes the biggest danger to the family farm is the family itself. Quite a statement, indeed a motion that was carried after quite some debate with 182 for and 147 against. So that being the case, we thought, well, we'd ask what is the real risk of families on family farms? Well, we know one aspect is the area concerning written partnership agreements, a bit like uh, succession planning that we touched on last year. Get it wrong and things can get very messy, tearing families apart. Indeed, just last autumn, the High Court had to rule on one case between a son and his parents of whether the farm was an asset between the three of them or not. Catherine Harris is Head of Agriculture at Wilkin Chapman and says without the right agreement, it really can rip families apart. A lot of farmers don't have written partnership agreements and when they don't, they fall back on a 19th century piece of legislation, the Partnership Act 1890. And we're in the 21st century, it's just not fit for purpose. So to my mind, it's crazy and it's it's really actually quite sad when... Um, Farmers don't have a written partnership agreement, and they so easily could, and they don't document changes and don't specify who owns their greatest asset, land. And it can rip families apart, can't it? Oh, a- absolutely. Um, and it's just so easy to, to rectify because every year we see litigation on this very subject of when there's a poorly written partnership agreement no partnership agreement or lack of clarity as to ownership structures and when it hits litigation um, the outcome usually is the the sale of the farm unfortunately and and the case you mentioned just um, the the case that that i mentioned was ham versus bell 2016 which was heard in the high court 
And in this case, it was unclear as to whether land was actually a partnership asset or whether it was owned individually by two of the partners to the exclusion of the son. And what that's really highlighting is the accounts themselves, partnership accounts themselves, don't imply that the land is a partnership asset on its own, but the court will look to all sorts of evidence. They'll take a purposive purposive approach to interpretation. And it really is the case. Get get advice, isn't it? I mean, it's such a mindful... Do you know, it's absolutely essential. I just think you're operating a business here... Um, you've got to... It's difficult when family's involved, though, isn't it? That, that, you know, that's the problem. Yeah, no, you're, exa- you're exactly right. Um, and, you know, I do appreciate that um, when pe- people just think that, you know, mum, dad, son, daughter, we all get along, and it's kind of disrespectful to go and document it. But you've just got to, because, you know, children get married, divorces happen, and you've got to look at protecting your asset and making sure the business can continue even if partners exit. Catherine Harris, Head of Agriculture at Wilkin Chapman, on the often thorny subject of written partnership agreements. Just before Christmas, you might remember, avian flu was confirmed on a turkey farm in Lincolnshire, meaning the bird flu that spread across mainland Europe had reached our shores as many feared it would. This week, DEFRA has extended its outdoors ban on birds, whether poultry or indeed home-kept chickens and the like, to the end of February. The National Farmers Union, while agreeing measures are needed, says the ongoing ban will cost the industry millions, with those promoting free-range birds especially affected. Alison Pratt is from the NFU. This is expected news, I think, with the fact that we've had a second outbreak of H5N8 avian influenza in Wales and the fact that wild birds are also being found um, uh, dead and carrying the disease. I don't think it's a surprise to the industry um, that the restrictions will remain in place. Um, It was a decision made by DEFRA and the Animal and Plant Health Agency based on risk and given that the risk levels are still high um, because it's winter and we're receiving birds on migratory routes all the time, I think it's just sensible that producers take precautions and keep their birds indoors. This is a notifiable disease and uh, producers must keep their birds indoors, not just for their own bird's safety, but I'm afraid for the whole industry. Uh, This is already costing uh, poultry producers um, in the UK millions and millions of pounds and is likely to do so for a very long time, not just in terms of the disease outbreak, but because of the lost exports, because, because we have avian influenza in the country we cannot export anything to our usual markets so um, the basic thing is for all producers um, to get through this as quickly as possible and abide by all the rules as best they possibly can and that I'm afraid means keeping birds indoors. Obviously birds kept indoors aren't in the ideal conditions and perhaps their uh, laying ability will be affected Um, but as long as their husbandry levels are very high, if they're inspected very regularly, if they're given toys to play with, for example cardboard boxes or straw, um, things that to give them to do that gives them um, you know something to sort of alleviate the boredom I suppose uh, and make sure that they don't smother and they're as well looked after as they possibly can be. This is something the whole industry has got to do. We have now reached, with the 28th of February, the very extent of the free-range 
definition. What we're hoping is that at the end of the 28th of February um, housing period, we can allow birds to go outside again because then the eggs that they produced can still be allowed to be called free range. Um, if there's a further housing period, um, then we'll have to discuss with um, our own government and the European legislation uh, what actually happens to the meaning of free range. That's Alison Pratt from the uh, NFU. Right, let's get our first update of the year from Open Field, shall we? It's uh, Henry Young with the news this week. Morning, Henry. Good morning, how are you? I'm okay. Welcome to a new year. Yeah, happy new year. <laughs> happy new year to you. Anything anything different to report from last year? Uh, it's safe to say that the wheat markets um, seem very hard to, well, far from easy to read at the moment, uh, with obviously a lot of global discussion about old crop quality. Also, the impact um, that the that kind of weather is having on the markets as well. Uh, looking at the UK wheat futures, generally there has been a bit of a gain over the final two weeks of 2016, and this is actually looking to continue into 2017. Sterling slipped back, uh, both against the euro and the US dollar. In contrast, the international markets, they've been generally uh, moving slightly lower uh, on the back of large supplies and also some technical trading as well uh, in the US. Having a look at these international markets, uh, there's been a number of factors to look at at the moment. There's been a serious lack of snow cover and also dryness, which is remaining an issue within Europe. Um, And also this is uh, going into Ukraine and also into the Baltics. They are expecting some heavy snowfall next week, so this may help, but we'll wait and see. Uh, Looking at the US, they're also very cold at the moment, and there is starting to be some concerns in their kind of plantings and also on their crop uh, crop surveys. Uh, The hard red wheat markets continue to rally. Um, and the Chicago markets also found some better levels. So this may be on the back of that worry uh, of, the, of the cold weather. Uh, while we're looking at snow in the northern hemisphere, the southern hemisphere seems to be looking at rain uh, also, uh, in Argentina and also Australia. This may well cause some damage to the crops uh, with harvest progressing there. We have seen the Argentinian fob values little, uh, little changed with higher uh, internal bids, which is actually causing some farm sales. The Aussie futures, they're slightly lower again, um, still up on the week, uh, but there has been little change to their FOB market. Remember that they need to export a huge amount because they were predicting some uh, historic high crop numbers. So we'll see how that plays out in the market. Having a quick look at Russia, uh, at the moment the wheat production has been pegged higher again, uh, 73.3 million tonnes. Uh, This is actually 18.6% larger than 2015-16. Again, it's a forecast. We'll see how that goes. While we're just looking at Russia, also uh, while we're all all away for the two weeks, um, there has been two Egyptian tenders. Uh, Egypt bought uh, 595,000 tonnes of wheat in two tenders. A good chunk of it from Russia, some of it from Argentina. It's important to note that Argentina bit because it's nice to see them back in the market because they do need to export and also bits from Ukraine and Romania. Just having a bit of a closer look to home, as Alison was just saying, bird flu. DEFRA has told UK uh, poultry owners uh, to keep the birds indoors until the end of February. The question will be on the, uh, what impact this will have on the feed markets. Uh, birds won't be cold and won't be burning energy, but also they won't be eating the bugs that are obviously out there outside. So m- this may have an impact on, on the prices. Having a look at those prices... January is currently trading between 136 and 139. March, 138 to 143. May, 17, 140 to 145. November, 17, 130 to 133. That November price is coming back up. Might be worth having a bit of a look at, just base pricing on that. Having a look at the feed barley, again, it has the same um, problems with a lack of snow cover. 
Uh, this is going to be a bit of an impact on, on quite a lot of the crops. Um, but again, they may be helped by that uh, heavy snowfall, which we may see next week. Uh, barley remains <laughs> is basically completely dead on the on the markets, unchanged. Reports in, the, uh, in Australia uh, suggest that recent rains have not caused quality issues to the barley, uh, but they've only actually got 5% still left to harvest. So having a look at the prices, January 117, March 119, May 121, and November 17, 112. Uh, the bean market, the new year uh, has continued in the same vein as basically it did last year, with no fresh news or demand on the market. Exports for human consumption have been slow, as Egypt continue uh, to sit out of the market. Domestic feed demand is also lacking with uh, compounders happy with a current cover and also eyeing up cheaper proteins. Feed beans are currently worth between 150 and human consumption, you're probably getting a £10 premium on that. The oilseed rate market has seen some good support in 2017, coming from good demand in both the US on the soybean and also here. Something to note is the US oilseed rape harvest and the shipping is, is ongoing. The farmer retention uh, is actually helping the market as well, pushing up those prices. The new crop uh, UK area is estimated to be 5% down. So this may have an impact on the new crop markets as well, as you'll see in these prices. Having a look at those prices, January 350, March 351, May 352, November 17, 325. Thank you. Thank you very much. From Open Field. Now, one wish for 2017 has to be a safer year ahead for those in agriculture. It's a sad fact that the industry remains among the worst for accidents at work, and last year was sadly no different. Agricultural chaplain Alan Robson often sees at first hand just how devastating farm accidents can be. Just a few weeks ago, he conducted the funeral of an 18-year-old who sadly died in one such accident. It's been a late summer through to now. Um, rather tragic people, you know, having broken backs, legs, necks, or all three. Um, machinery accidents, livestock accidents, people getting in with uh, cattle and, and not being with somebody else. Um, you should only ever get in there with two, really. Certainly somebody about watching what's going on, if that is at all possible. Um, and um, and tragically, yes, um, uh, young Jackson Mapplethorpe at Billinghay, a uh, fine young man, um, a farm accident where he was electrocuted, and um, and so and and leading that service with hundreds of people there, really, it was a timely reminder to to think and to be careful and to watch out for one another, and and really, you know try and make sure that uh, you're safe it's we're all so busy nowadays aren't we and it only takes one moment distraction to be distracted just for a matter of seconds and something can go wrong can't it that's right and uh, when people get rushed or feel they have to get jobs done yesterday and and uh, and start racing about and not just paying attention to those overhead power lines or uh, those gates that weren't there the day before, but you moved them, you know, yeah, and uh, all of that. And it's just, yeah, when everybody's getting a bit tired or distracted or concerned about other things and you're not just mind 100% on the job, um, then we want people to be careful. You know, farming shouldn't be uh, the highest um, 
industry that has accidents, you know, the industry with the most accidents. So we need to um, really begin to get our act together, ladies and gentlemen, because, you know, it's not just the tragic end of one individual. It can upend a whole farm family uh, structure. And uh, so everybody has to think a little bit more carefully. As agricultural chaplain Alan Robson. I'm uh, sure the views mentioned there by Alan are shared by our agronomist Sean Sparling. Morning, Sean. Yeah, good morning, Sean. Very, very sad listening to Alan. I know Alan very well, and I work with Alan with the Lincoln Rural Support Network, and my heart goes out to the family. You just never know what's around the corner, so just enjoy life while you've got it. It's it's a scathing, fleeting thing. Um, so out there in the field, it's things are starting to change a little bit. We've got a, a mild start to the winter as every Every winter seems to be. I think for the last couple of years we've gone spring, summer, autumn, spring. Hopefully we'll get some winter, so fingers crossed for that. But as you go out in the field before Christmas, there were certain varieties of wheat, for example. We were starting to pick up mildew and yellow rust. And a cold winter will not stop the yellow rust from being a problem. It will dry out the mildew. But the only way it's going to kill yellow rust is if it kills the leaf that the rust is on. Otherwise, it'll just hold it in a bounce. There's no need to be going out there and spraying any fungicides on these crops because you need a crop which is actively growing in order for the fungicide to get into the plant and do its magic. Um, and while you've got soil temperatures where they are, currently they sit around 2, 2.4 degrees. That isn't conducive to any fungicide working so it's a waste of time and money to go and put it on um, on a cereal crop at the moment as I say bear in mind make a note where these fields are that have had yellow rust in them and go out and get those fields first when it comes to teen up but until you hit March you're kind of wasting your time with any fungicides until you get some active growth out there um, also most people got most of their winter wheat drilling in the ground it's not too late to put wheat in the ground they're still within the safe drilling window up until the end of this month and into February even um, obviously with winter barley it's a different thing you should be thinking about spring barley now it's far too late to put winter barley in the ground um, and in oilseed rape at the moment we are seeing a little bit of light leaf spot popping up in one or two of the more susceptible varieties but again it's a waste of time putting a fungicide on unless you've put one on a long time ago or unless you haven't put one on at all and in which case same applies you need active growth you need the crop to be growing and the light leaf spot won't get any worse until you get conditions above eight degrees so it almost make sure it's that that is your problem before you go and even think about spraying and I think you're way too early eight weeks away before we think about putting light leaf spot fungicides on for the control of light leaf spot in all seed rate. Um, if you're confused, stick it in a little polythene bag, put put the leaf in the polythene bag, pop it in the air and covered for a couple of days, and you'll see if it's light leaf spot. And that should tell you something. If it takes that sort of warmth to make that light leaf spot move, then there is absolutely no need for you to be spraying light leaf spot at the moment. Um, a lot of cultivation has been carried out over the, the last few weeks. Um, a lot of people thinking about spring wheat, spring barley, peas, beans, obviously, um, going in the ground over the course of the next couple of months. You can put spring beans, spring barley, spring wheat, you can put those in the ground now, but you won't get a benefit in terms of yield. And if black grass is the reason you're delaying your drilling into the spring, then it's probably a bad decision to go and drill them now because you lose all the benefits of those glyphosate applications that you may well be able to bring into the programme. So people with black grass probably aren't 
going to be thinking about putting uh, spring crops in the ground much before March anyway. Um, so as things stand at the moment, we're in a period of cool. Slugs are still active. My friend Kelly Houston Fisher out there, for catchment officer for Lincolnshire, if you get a little spill, if you drop some pellets near a watercourse, ring your catchment officer because it is that's the way they can stop abstraction in that area and we can limit the effects of things like metaldehyde getting into drinking water. And of course, now that we're in the new year, 2017, your restrictions on seven kilos of metaldehyde between the 1st of August and the 31st of December have stopped. You now have the ability to put metaldehyde on, but don't just chuck them about willy-nilly. Make sure you've got a problem before you go and put slug pellets out in the field. Get your traps out there and monitor the situation. Um, The other thing I would say as well is if you've got Atlantis or Hamlet or any of those things to put on, it is crucial that you put them on and you get these four hours dry in these conditions. The poorer the growth, the more you need that Atlantis, that Hamlet, to dry onto the leaf. So there's no point whatsoever starting at three o'clock in the afternoon, the dew comes down at four, you'll lose a lot of that efficacy because the plants just aren't going to take it up. And while soil temperatures are as low as they are, they're not going to move particularly quickly. By the time they do in six, seven weeks' time, the herbicide will probably have washed off so make sure you pick your day if you're putting herbicides on the balance of a liberator for example that extra 0.3 can still go on but be very very careful in these conditions where you've got a lot of frost you've got a lot of stressed out crops wax is the thing that's protecting them same goes for fox and oilseed rape wax is the thing that's protecting them so just pick your day and if you get a good day don't miss it don't miss it indeed thank you sean sparling of sparling agronomy services We'll have the weather in a moment, find out if a good day is coming or not. First, let's get an update from Nick Morris of British Sugar. Is it uh, too late now to wish a Happy New Year, Nick? I hope not. Happy New Year, Sean. (laughs) So what's uh, what's happening with the campaign then as we start 2017? Right, Okay. well, we're now uh, 96 days into campaign, which is around two-thirds of the way through for this season. And I can report the factory continues to perform well. And by 7 o'clock this morning, we will have processed over 900,000 tonnes of sugar beet and are currently averaging a daily slice of 9,400 tonnes a day. Uh, it's really pleasing to see that the, uh, the settled weather definitely continues uh, and that has certainly maintained roadside stocks uh, of sugar beet at a comfortable level. While we have experienced a few cooler nights of late, it generally remains relatively mild and as such it is really important just to minimise that storage time between harvest and delivery as well as the temperature in particular of any crop that is in store to prevent any excessive yield loss as the heat can build up in that crop. Generally, though, we would not expect to see any storage clamps covered up in these current conditions, the only exception perhaps being uh, freshly lifted sugar beet if it's uh, forecast to be minus three or below. So from the 66% of contract that's now delivered, the quality of the crop remains very good. We've now received 32,500 loads to date with an average dirt tear of 5.8% and a sugar content of 17.25%, which is down by only 0.3% since my last report three weeks ago because it's quite normal at this time of year you see the tail off of the, uh, the sugar content. So that's quite a minimal drop, which we're really pleased with. And so far we have 182 contracts that have now finished delivering their crop for the season and overall yield is at 69 tonnes a hectare, which is yeah really pleasing given the challenges the crop has been exposed to this season. 
just remind us what some of those challenges were, because they were a while ago now, Yeah, no, it's fair to say, uh, you're looking all the way back to uh, even before the crop was sown, we had a very wet uh, and mild winter sort of this time last year, and that plays out into sort of hampering seabeds, really, in the spring while we're trying to sow that crop. We had lots of clods and... Uh, um, yeah, relatively difficult conditions to produce a seabed in. And then, if you recall, that was actually followed by significant rain in March and April, well above uh, average levels, which actually delayed the drilling of our crop by uh, as much as two weeks. So we'd normally um, plan on getting the crop sown uh, with an average drilling date of the 26th of March. And in fact, this season, the average drilling date was the 8th of April. So two weeks late. And I did just uh, uh, scratch back some history to find that that was actually the latest drilling date in the last 20 years, with the exception of 2001. So, yeah, quite uh, quite delayed. As well as the delayed drilling date following the significant rainfall, we also had incredibly cold temperatures in March and April. I do remember it being quite uh, unpleasant and blustery on, on fields, uh, walking across fields in March and April. And that was then actually followed by an incredibly wet June. Now, sugar beet uh, generally does like uh, a, a generous amount of water in the summer, but it was it was excessive and uh, did cause water logging, logging in some places, so that, that did actually impede growth. So, really, given uh, the sort of yield we're looking at for this season, we're incredibly pleased, and it really just goes to show how much uh, yield potential and growth the crop can uh, can do in the autumn and even into the winter. And it'll be fascinating to see where the final yield finishes up. Nick Morris of uh, British Sugar. Yeah, I'd forgotten how awful the weather was at the start of the campaign last March and April. Anyway, from last spring to this week, what's in store for us? The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. Well, today uh, there should be plenty of uh, sunny spells, actually. We're looking at highs of 7 Celsius, the wind from the west at about 5 miles an hour. Clear skies overnight, temperatures down to 4 Celsius, the wind from the southwest, 10, maybe gusting at 15 miles an hour. And then that wind will increase as we start Monday. Uh, southwesterly, 20 miles an hour, gusting at 40 come the middle of the day, and that will bring some heavy rain for tomorrow as well. 9 Celsius, though, so mild the afternoon high. Monday into Tuesday, clearer skies, that rain should have passed over. 4 Celsius, the low once again. The wind continuing from the west at 15, gusting at 35, maybe 40 miles an hour through Tuesday as well. Highs on Tuesday of 7 Celsius, patchy cloud, some sunshine, should be dry. That wind continuing though, as I say, from the northwest. Tuesday into Wednesday, staying overcast, the possibility of a shower in places. Temperatures starting off at 4 Celsius, but with that cloud cover, we're looking at lows generally of around 6 Celsius. The wind continuing from the west, generally 10 miles an hour first thing on Wednesday. There's still a gust of 20-25 miles an hour for a time. So that's the forecast, and that's it for another week in the world of farming, the first for 2017. Next week, we'll hear from a couple of agricultural businesses looking ahead to the new year with confidence, whatever the year might throw at us. That and plenty more at the same time next Sunday. Until then, have a good week's farming.